0: This Easter season always comes around the Jewish holiday of Passover. It was at the Passover time that Jesus went to the cross and suffered for us. And, uh, and there's a reason for that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, the last part of the verse, he said, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Because if Jesus is the Passover, the fulfillment of the Passover, then we need to know something about the Passover. Now it's interesting to me that, that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, which was a Gentile church, about the Passover and the understanding concerning Christ and his association with it, the fulfillment of the, of the Passover. So they must have known something about it too. Now how would the, how would the Gentiles know anything about Jewish holidays? I have to assume that Paul had instructed them. We know that there was some, um, uh, well, how would we say it? We know that they were improperly operating concerning the Passover because they were treating it as just a church meal, family dinner type thing. And some people were going without and other people were getting drunk on the wine and so forth. So Paul writes to address certain things. But the Passover seems to hold a very important place in their understanding Because of Paul's reference to it. So let's see if we can figure out what the importance and the significance is. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take up the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden, that means boiled at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the depuritance thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. and you shall keep it in the feast of the Lord throughout, keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generation. You shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Then he gives some instructions about uh, seven days they shall purify their homes and of everything that's unclean and the unleavened bread instructions and, and so forth. But the things I want you to see is this is the last of the ten plagues of Egypt whereby God brought his people the Jews, out of bondage by a strong and mighty hand. Now you remember the story about how God sent Moses to Pharaoh saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh wouldn't do it. Pharaoh didn't know who he was. And so Moses started doing signs and wonders and performing miracles in his presence and before all the people of Egypt. By the time they get to this tenth and last one, the people are fed up with the Jews. They realize that the, the all the things that are taking place, all the plagues that are taking place are because... Pharaoh won't let the people go, and they're ready to see him get out of there. But Pharaoh won't relent. So finally, God says, one last thing, and this will be the deliverance of my people from the bondage of Egypt. Now, the Bible tells us that the, the Old Testament uh, events are types and shadows for us. That means they serve as examples for us under the new covenant, something that signifies what Jesus has done for us. So the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt signifies the new birth First Corinthians chapter 10 tells us specifically that Israel was baptized in the Red Sea when they crossed over and you remember the story about how Pharaoh and his armies chased after him and they were drowned in the sea well that's a type of the new birth the deliverance from the bondage of Egypt Egypt is a type of the world is a, an example or a picture an Old Testament picture of the new birth where man is delivered from sin and spiritual death Now I want you to notice some things about this Passover. Notice it didn't belong to him just because they were Jews. God could have said, but didn't. He could have said, now because you're descendants of Abraham, you guys just go and stay inside all night and everything will be fine. He didn't say that. It still took the blood of the lamb. Each one, irrespective of their genealogy, their lineage... Their heritage had to apply the blood for themselves and for their household. And the Bible speaks specifically of God passing over and protecting them because he sees the blood. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us they deserve death just like Egypt did because of sin. But God made a way for them to escape that death, and the way to escape that death was through the blood. Now let me ask you another question. If the blood is the thing that makes the children of Israel safe from the the plague that's going to destroy the firstborn of every household, why were they commanded to eat the flesh? What significance is eating the flesh? And notice specific instruction is given for how they're to eat it. Eat it with your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it ready to go. Why? If the blood is what protects them from the, the angel of death, why are eating the flesh? Folks, there's one answer and only one answer that could possibly be the case, and that is they ate the flesh of the lamb for the strength of their journey. Now Psalm 105 verse 37 tells us what the re- end result of this keeping of the Passover was. It says in Psalm 105 verse 37, And he brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one people among them how do you get a group of people that numbers anywhere from 2 to 7 million people depending on whose estimates you want to accept how do you get a group of people that large without any sick people in there in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26 immediately after they're brought out of the bondage of Egypt Pharaoh's armies have been destroyed in the Red Sea they sing their song of gratitude to to the God who saved them who delivered them But after a few days, they come to a place where there's no drinkable water. And so the people began to complain and wonder what's going to happen now. God shows Moses what to do about the situation. He tells him to cast a certain tree, a specific type of tree, which is a type of the cross of Jesus, into the waters. And the waters were made pure. That's a type of Jesus being sent to the earth to purify the way for man to reach God and the Bible says that God made an ordinance for them he instituted a statute unto them that day in other words that means he made a law that will never change he said if you'll keep my words and keep my commandments and do good in my sight I will keep from you all the diseases of the world for I am the God that healeth thee first name God identified himself to his people I am the Lord that healeth thee now this word healeth is interesting Because the the tense that it's used is one that could mean past tense, present tense, or future tense. Now the Hebrew language has different tenses for verbs, and any of them could have been used. But God used one, and gives us record of it in Exodus 15, 26, that means all of them. It means a perpetual healing. It would be just as accurate as the King James translation to translate that verse, I am the Lord that healed, past tense, thee, referring back to the Passover, referring back to the work that was done in the children of Israel when God brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one people among them. It would be just as, just as correct to translate it, I am the God that will always heal thee, showing God's eternal plan and purpose. You could translate it either way. Now, why would God choose a word that could mean both if he didn't mean both? I believe he did. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 30. We're going to fast forward 765 years. During that 765 years, Israel has taken the promised land. They've driven away all their enemies. But then they set up kings. David, Solomon, his sons, and so forth. And the kingdom became divided because of disobedience to God, the failure to keep his word, and Israel eventually goes into bondage. Now I want you to see what happens in... Uh, uh, where are we? 1 Chronicles chapter 20... Chapter, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 30. I'll get it right in a minute. In verse 1, Hezekiah is the king of Israel... And Hezekiah is trying to do right. He's trying to restore some of the things, uh, worship of God and so forth. He tears down some of the altars to the idols and groves and different things like that. He's the one that has a, a great part in the rebuilding of the temple. And it says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover under the Lord God of Israel, it's been 765 years since the last since the institution of the Passover. 765 years. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. Now if you remember, it was supposed to have been done in the first month of the year. That tells what some of the response to his uh, uh, attempt to get Jerusalem. They would get all of Israel to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Some people accepted, some people didn't. Skip down with me to verse, uh, verse 15. Then they killed the Passover on the fourteenth day of the second month. And the priests and Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received at the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified, therefore the Levites had charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean, to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise that was that it was written, But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, "The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God." the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Now very simply this means this. The people did not go through the ritual of the seven days of cleansing their houses and the unleavened bread and things like that. They're partaking of the Passover at the wrong time, not the first month and the tenth day when God told them to do it, but the second, day, second month and the fourteenth day. The priests hadn't prepared themselves properly or appropriately. In other words, they're doing everything wrong according to the way God said to do it. But their heart was right in the reinstitution of Passover. Now notice verse 20. Notice how God responded to this. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. The Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Now this word healed is the Hebrew word that means to cure or to mend. It's used 68 times in the Old Testament. Every time it's used concerning a physical condition. It's the same word in Exodus 15:26, I am the Lord that healeth thee. It's a different tense, but it's the same word. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. It's the same word that's used in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, I believe it is, when Elisha threw salt into the waters of Jericho to purify or to cleanse the, the waters that were poisonous. It's the same word that's used in Isaiah 53, 5. Which says, with Jesus' stripes, by his stripes, you were healed. It always refers to a physical condition. So when it says, the Lord hearkened unto unto Hezekiah and healed the people. There's only one possible meaning from this. And that is the same thing that we see in Exodus chapter 12 and Psalm 105, verse 37. That healing came through the Passover. Healing, physical healing, bodily healing for the people of Israel came from the Passover, through the Passover. Now notice it says that he healed the people. Psalm 107 verse 37 again, he brought them forth with silver and gold. We remember what happened there. After the uh, Passover night is over and the firstborn of every household dies, the children of Israel went from house to house saying, we're leaving now, give us what you owe us and the Bible says they spoiled the Egyptians the people wanted to get them out of there so bad they gave them everything they had and so they came forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble person among them there was not one sick there was not one infirmed now you've got old people in this crowd but even the old people were strong enough to make the journey to the promised land everyone was healed not one sick or feeble among them I know the modern day church likes to say, well, God can heal, but you never know who he will. And since most of the people in the church are sick, must not be very many of them. But God healed them all. The example that we've got through the Passover is that God provided healing for everyone. There was not one sick or feeble person among them. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 20, it says, The Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Well, that wouldn't be some of the people or else you couldn't say it that way. The fact that it says he healed the people means he had to heal them all. And Christ was our Passover sacrifice for us. Jesus, according to Paul, is the fulfillment of the Passover ordinance, the Old Testament ordinance where healing was provided to all the people. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes to the earth. He's anointed of the Holy Ghost when he's baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Holy Ghost descends on him in bodily shape as a dove. That means something came down from heaven and landed on Jesus and stayed there. And everybody was aware of it. There was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that time forth, Jesus began to do healings and miracles everywhere he went. Or at least he tried to do them everywhere he went. So much so that he said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He preached the anointing of God upon himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. What are you anointed to do, Jesus? To heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. He's anointed to set people free and to heal the sick. And it's so much so in prevalence. Healing is so prevalent... That in John chapter 3, it tells us that one of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, came to Jesus under the cover of darkness in the middle of the night, and he said, Master, we know that thou art a rabbi, teacher, come from God, for nobody can do these kind of miracles unless God is with them. In other words, he says, there's no explanation for the works and the miracles and the healings that you're doing, except God be with somebody. That's the only possible way that somebody could do the stuff you're doing. God has to be with them. And Jesus directs him to being born again. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. In other words, the the purpose for all the works that Jesus did was to reveal the Father, the will of the Father, to reveal God's attitude toward sickness and disease. Never was there one person that ever came to Jesus to receive healing. And Jesus said, I'm sorry. God wants to teach you something through this sickness. You've got to keep it. Never once. I know the modern-day church says that a lot, but you can't find that example in Jesus. The same modern-day church that says we're supposed to follow Jesus' example ignores Jesus' example when it comes to healing the sick. Jesus never turned anybody away. The only times there was a question of his will to heal, Jesus stretched forth his hand immediately and said, I will be thou cleansed. The The only time we have record of where somebody failed to receive healing in Jesus' ministry Jesus made up the difference and brought healing and deliverance to the son but that doesn't mean everybody that was in the earth was healed when Jesus was here in his own hometown of Nazareth Mark 6 5 says and he could there do no mighty work save her, except he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks a few folks with minor ailments and healed them so we see that the necessary ingredient is faith Well, then why would Paul tell us that Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us? If not to help us understand the need to believe in the work of Jesus and the sacrifice he made. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul makes an interesting comment and teaches us something about the communion. At the time Paul writes this, there are three gospels that are prevalent and well known, widely distributed. The first gospel that was written was the Gospel of Mark. Mark was a disciple of and the nephew of Peter, and so it's a second-hand account of what Peter saw and experienced in Jesus' walk on the earth. The second gospel that was written, according to historical records, was the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew gives us an eyewitness account. He was one of the twelve. It gives us an eyewitness account, and it was primarily written for the Jews, along with the Gospel of Mark. And then the third account is the, the uh, gospel account of Luke. Now Luke was a member of Paul's company. We don't know exactly when the writing when the Gospel of Luke took place, but we do uh, understand that it had to be the third one somewhere between Matthew and John. John was the last one, and he came in and kind of filled in the gaps and told us some things that the others didn't tell us. But in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, Jesus is recorded at the Last Supper by saying the same thing. That this was the Passover ceremony, the Passover feast. Jesus explained that he had desired greatly to experience and enjoy this feast together, knowing that he was going to the cross. But he wanted to enjoy it with his disciples. In each of those three accounts, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. In other words, he's changing what we're supposed to remember. He's changing the remembrance of when Egypt, the power of Egypt was destroyed over the the forefathers and Israel was brought out to the promised land to fulfill the type to remember when we were brought out of the bondage of spiritual death and translated into the kingdom of God. Now Paul tells us the same thing or something similar. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let me start reading in verse 23. Paul said, for I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Now please notice what he's saying. He's saying Jesus himself told me this. That's what it means I've received of the Lord. It means Jesus told me about the last supper. Why? We've got Mark's account. Then we had Matthew's account. Then we've got Luke's account. We've got three Holy Ghost-inspired accounts that tell us virtually the same thing about the Last Supper. Why does Paul need special revelation about the Lord's Supper and communion? There's got to be some reason that the Holy Ghost would manifest himself in a miraculous way for Paul to say, I received of the Lord the same thing that I'm going to deliver to you. Why would he need something else? Why wouldn't he say, now Matthew and Mark and Luke tell us about the Lord's Supper those letters were available widely known, widely accepted, widely distributed what's the revelation? well let's see what he told it. for I received of the Lord the same thing that I've delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that. For as often as you eat this bread... Now here's Paul's teaching. Here's his commentary on what the Lord has revealed to him. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You do show the Lord's death till he comes. That's what do this in remembrance of me means. It means it's not about the Passover lamb in Egypt anymore. It's about the Passover that was sacrificed for us, Jesus Christ. It's not about the blood on the doorpost. It's about the blood of Jesus cleansing your life. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, because this is true. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now the word unworthily means a manner or attitude. In other words, he's saying if you eat the Lord's supper, partake of the Lord's supper with the wrong attitude, then you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord see it's not a matter of being worthy the blood of Jesus makes you worthy and this is the only thing that can make you worthy it's talking about attitude it's talking about the manner in which they're partaking what they think and what they believe about this these elements that Jesus said represented his body and his blood wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily same thing wrong attitude wrong manner he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh condemnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body in other words he's very simply saying the attitude that you need to partake of the Lord's Supper with the attitude you need to have about the Passover that's celebrated by the Lord's Supper by what we call communion is one that recognizes that the body and the blood of the Lord were sacrificed for us. And unless you discern the Lord's body, the importance and the significance of the elements, and the fact that we're all brothers and sisters in the family of God, the brothers and sisters that make up the body of the Lord. So he's talking about two things. He's talking about what we believe about what Jesus did for us, and our love walk toward one another. Then we're not discerning the Lord's body. And that brings condemnation to us. Now, what is the end result of that condemnation? Notice in verse 30. For this cause, not discerning, recognizing what Jesus did and what he sacrificed himself for. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. The word sleep means die prematurely. So folks, I want you to understand something. This is the revelation. This is why he received of the Lord the same thing that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about in the Gospels. The revelation is, it's a right understanding, it's a right attitude of the body and the blood of the Lord. Not just the blood that covered the doorposts in the Old Testament type, but the flesh of the lamb that was eaten for the strength of the journey. The flesh of the lamb that brought healing and health to all of Israel. The same flesh that brought healing and health 765 years later to the children of Israel in Hezekiah's day, that brought healing and health. For this reason, not discerning the Lord's body, not rightly appropriating what Jesus paid for, what Jesus sacrificed himself for, physically as well as spiritually, many are weak and sickly, and many die prematurely. And folks, I would submit to you that that is a modern-day description of the present-day church. Weak and sickly and not living out the full length of days. Now this is what Jesus was drawing back from. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He started off that prayer by saying all things are possible with you. Let this cup pass from me. But then he stopped and said, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Why is he drawing back? What's he drawing back from? The Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the shame of the cross and the suffering thereof. There was something he was looking forward to at the end of that suffering. That was worth it, that made it worth it for him to go through the pain and the agony that's called the resurrection that's what we celebrate on Easter it was what Jesus endured the shame and the suffering of the cross for let me read something to you the state of Arizona uh, Arizona Medical Association started a journal in 1944 still printed monthly today and in 1965 March of 1965 there was a medical doctor that published in this Arizona Medicine Journal, it's called Arizona Medicine, published an article about the medical um, descriptions of the flogging and crucifixion of Jesus. Now he used from this, uh, in this article, he used Mark chapter 15 and verse 15. So let me read that to you. It says, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, And delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. That's all it says. Delivered him when he had scourged him to be crucified. Delivered Jesus when he had been scourged to be crucified. Talk about the understatement of the world. When he had scourged him. The scourging of the Romans works like this. The Romans first stripped, stripped the victim and tied his hands to a post above his head. The whip that they used, which is called a flagellum, was made of several pieces of leather with pieces of bone and lead embedded near the ends. Two men, one on each side of the victim, usually did the flogging. The Jews mercifully limited flogging to a maximum of 40 stripes, but the Romans had no such limitation. Here's the medical doctor that published in the Arizona Medicine Journal in 1965, March of 1965. He said this, the heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continued, they cut deeper in the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. It's not surprising that victims of Roman flogging often died. Now folks, the word that's used in Isaiah 53 that's translated into the King uh, James English language with his stripes we are healed. That word stripes is the word bruise. And it's a very specific term. And it means very simply this. it mean, Well the technical definition is the mark of the blow. But it means this. It means that if there were any two stripes or marks left on Jesus' back. That could be distinguished one from the other then this word could not have been used. See, we think of stripes like what maybe you might have seen, like I did as a kid, cowboy movies and stuff like that. Every now and then you see somebody with a bullwhip, and some bad guy might get the good guy in a situation where he lashes him a few times with the bull bullwhip, and he comes out with these diagonal stripes on his back. Well, that may be what we think about when we read Isaiah 53, with his, by his stripes you were healed. But that's not what it means. It means that there was no tissue left on his back in any form whatsoever. Maybe the greatest indication of the severity of this, and remember, Jesus was being crucified as being called the king of the Jews. So, whatever these Roman soldiers had against the Jews, here's their opportunity to take it out on the one that's being called the king. There's no telling how many times he was beaten. There's no telling how many times he was flogged. We do know this. We know that it was the Roman custom to make the victim carry the cross piece, what we might call the cross piece of the cross. It has a specific name, but I don't know how to say it. From the place of the flogging, the scourging, to the place of the crucifixion. Typically these were 30 to 40 pound pound pieces of wood that were strapped to the shoulders of the victim. Jesus was so brutally beaten that he couldn't make it with that 30 pound log on his back. Simon the serene was grabbed out of the crowd when Jesus stumbled and fell. And made to carry the rest of the way. That was unusual. It was an unusual event. And it spoke to the brutality of his beating. Now folks, I know that a lot of times in the church, the modern day church. People want to emphasize the shedding of Jesus' blood to pay the price for sin and death. And I don't think you can overemphasize that. But the reality is this. The Bible says... By the mark of the blow, Jesus' bruise, healing was provided for you because Christ was our Passover sacrifice for us. To discount the beating that Jesus took and the blood that was shed when Pilate had him scourged is to wrongly. I say this with all humility and some sincerity is to wrongly discern the Lord's body on that Easter morning when Jesus is raised from the dead he's a happy guy this is the joy that was set before him and the scourging that he took on his back the suffering that he endured on the cross, and the three days of punishment that he suffered to satisfy the eternal claims of justice for mankind and his sins. Now all that's over. Jesus comes back to the earth and says, All hail. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. What's he happy about? He's happy because death has been defeated once and for all. He's happy because of what the Bible says in Colossians 1.13. God has delivered us from the power of darkness, from the authority of every bit of darkness, every authority, every power of sickness and disease, every bit of power that the devil has, every bit of power that the devil could ever hope to have. We've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Jesus is happy because now the way is open for us to come to the Father. so that we can say we are of God like 1 John 4:4, we are of God little children and have overcome them meaning all the power of the devil because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world he's a happy man because he knows once and for all the power of spiritual death and the consequences thereof sickness and disease poverty and lack every bit of the power of the devil every bit of any power that's held us in bondage has been delivered, we have been delivered from, has been defeated once and for all. He's got something to be happy about. So what does he say? All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to all nations. He that believeth and receives Jesus, that's what baptized means there, it doesn't mean water baptism. He that believes and receives Jesus shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. First thing he mentions is they'll cast out devils. First sign is to exercise authority over the devil. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. And the last of the five signs that he said follows believers in his name. And they shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us. Just as real and just as surely as healing was provided for the Old Testament sacrifice, healing is provided through the Lord's Supper now, when we rightly discern the Lord's body. Do you know him? Have you found the blood of Jesus and applied the blood of Jesus to your doorposts? It's not enough to be a church member. Any more than the Old Testament Passover was enough to be a Jew. The blood had to be applied. How do we do that? Well, Paul says if we'll simply believe the Bible account that God sent Jesus to the earth. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that God raised him from the dead. If we'll believe that and confess with our mouth, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we shall be saved. do you know him would you bow your heads and close your eyes please Jesus endured the suffering and shame of the cross for one reason and that is so that you could come into the family of God nothing else made it worthwhile now if you're here this morning and would say Pastor Mike I don't know Jesus I may have heard the stories but I don't know him I can never point to a time in my life where I know that I know that I know that I asked him to come into my heart. That I asked him to save me. If you're here this morning, we want to lead you in a prayer of confession to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's a very simple prayer. something we're going to do here in the auditorium because there are other things the Lord wants us to do as well. And we'll have other people to pray for you and with you. But I don't want anybody to leave this room today without the opportunity to make Jesus their Lord and Savior once and for all. So if you're here and would say, pray for me, Pastor Mike. I want to be born again. I want to come to know Jesus. I want to appropriate what he died and suffered for, for me to have. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand right where you are. We're simply asking you to lift your hand so that we'll know who we're praying for. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please lift your hand now. He died an awful death for you to be born again, for you to know him. alright then here's what I want you to do I want every person in this room to repeat this prayer after me dear father in heaven I believe that Jesus came to the earth that he died for my sins and that you raised him from the dead I confess Jesus right now as my Lord and Savior I thank you that I'm a part of your family and that you are my heavenly father In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, now we know we're all family. Let's have a healing service. Gentlemen, would you come forward? We want to serve communion to the people.